Hey, good morning. If you're here in the room or you're joining us online, we are really glad that all of you are worshiping with us this morning. I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here. Again, just very glad all of you are here, especially if you are new. So when I was, when I was in college, there was this thing. There was this thing that was, it was going around. It was, still, you still see a little bit of it now, but when I was in college, there was, this, there was this thing that was called the Quest for the Historical Jesus. And it was this thing where people just kind of were trying to figure out who Jesus actually was. And so there was this, there was this belief, there was this idea that, um, that, that, that the, who Christians have said that Jesus is, is like based on a myth. And it's something that um, people 30 years, 50 years, 100 years after Jesus was here, that they kind of invented and created this Jesus, but that Jesus was an actual person to find out who that was. So this was all happening like during my time in college. Simultaneously, while I'm at college, I am, let's just say, we'll just call me a pre-internet troll, right? It was, and, and I was a very, I mean, I was, I was a young believer, and, but I was also very just kind of bold and didn't have a lot of, I don't know, maybe boundaries is the word. I don't know what it was, but like if there was a lecture anywhere on campus that seemed to have anything that, I might disagree with theologically, I would show up and either just, um, and, 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 just and then just hope that there'd be a Q&A, right? And just, just waiting, waiting for Q&A. And then I was, I was that guy, right? And I'm, there's some stories I have I look back on and like, I'm kind of proud of that story and then there's, and, and then not, right? So there's just, there's just a little bit of both. And so there would always be these lectures, Learn who the real Jesus is. Like, I'm gonna learn about the real Jesus. I was like, who the real Jesus is. I'm, I'm coming there. I'm ready. I'm ready. To, I'm ready to fight somebody. And finally, there was this um, lecture where, kind of the guy who was kind of like spearheading this movement nationally was kind of the lead scholar on this scholarship project. Had written the books that were the ones that were being circulated with this topic, and it was just kind of this big deal that this guy came to campus. And so they had to get one of the big lecture halls for this. And of course, I'm sitting there hoping for Q&A. But there was, this, there was this moment that happened. And I'll vividly remember this. And the thing that he said, everything that he said I disagreed with because I disagree, if, if, if you say it, it must be bad. But there's something that he said that in hindsight, I kind of look back at and I'm like, you know, there's actually some, some wisdom there. Which is, he says, you, you want to be really careful about creating a Jesus that you always agree with. That if this is who you want Jesus to be, like this, you know, and, and, he's like, and, and you ignore other aspects of who he is or you add things in, in order for this Jesus to be someone that you, are, that you only agree with, that you only feel good about, you gotta, you got to be careful with that because you're ultimately then constructing a Jesus in your image. Which, you know, and, and like... That's actually pretty good wisdom. And so then he goes through this, and then someone asks him in the Q&A, well, tell me, tell me then what you think about this Jesus then. And the first thing that he says, well, I'll tell you one thing. Jesus was a political liberal. And the crowd erupts in cheers and applause. Yeah! Woo! Yeah! Woo! I mean, everybody's excited, and he's just kind of up there, just kind of like, you know, like, like now he's a rock star. And I don't know if you catch the irony of that. 
Because he had just spent the last 30 minutes kind of deconstructing this idea about who Jesus was and saying that you want to be careful that the Jesus you build out of this isn't one that you really would like and that always agrees with you. And the next thing out of his mouth is, but guess what? I've rebuilt Jesus and he's just who you want him to be, guys. And then they're in a rut. And like, 27, 28 years or whatever maybe has passed since that. And really, that hasn't changed. These guys may not be making the national headlines, but this is what we're still doing. We are still constructing a Jesus that always manages to agree with me. And somehow you can get on Twitter or Facebook or wherever and you can find really solid cases for both Jesus as socialist and Jesus as libertarian. Because if you just pick and choose and put all these things, it just, no, not really that. You can explain that away. Look, Jesus, he's my hero. And really, the Jesus that we've built is an idealized version of ourselves. And so what's happening in Colossians, with, with, with the Colossians and Colossae, is we've got this group of new young believers. And we're in a series on Colossians, our second week. Mark kicked it off last week. And um, we've got this group, and they're really young to the faith, and, and this group of people that seem to just kind of be moving around. You see them coming up in a lot of the letters of Paul. And, and, and they, they're coming around saying, hey, you may think that you've got a relationship with God, with Jesus, but there's something significant that you're missing. And the thing that they continue would continually say and that they're really pressing on the Colossians, and we'll look more in depth at this part in two weeks, is, man, I know you think believing in Jesus is enough, but there's a lot of rules and regulations and special knowledge and special rituals and all these things that you have to do if you really want to have an authentic relationship with God. There's, all, there's these morality rules and, and festivals and all these different things, a combination of like the, the Jewish laws and rituals and with some other things kind of put it all together. And so Jesus isn't quite enough. And so in order for them to be able to come to the Colossians and say Jesus isn't enough, what you also have to do is you have to, you have to take Jesus down a few pegs. And so in addition to teaching that really following God is more rules and ritual based, in addition to that they're saying, and Jesus isn't quite, he isn't quite as big and awesome and powerful as you tend to think of he is. And they kind of put him more into the elevated teacher camp. And so the thing that's happening now, it was happening on my campus 30 years ago, is this has been around for a while. In order for us to really get in with these people and to get them to change, we've got to make less of Jesus. And so what we're going to find all throughout the book of Colossians, but most intensely in this passage we're going to be looking at today, is Paul making a very strong case for a very for a very big Jesus. Because if you are, I say I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, who Jesus is, who he actually is, will determine a lot about your life and what you believe and what you do, what you think is right, what you think is wrong, what is expected of my life. And so Paul is making a really strong case for... Um, a very big Jesus. 
Colossians 1. Today we're going to start in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross." And so we see kind of even in this description of who Jesus is, and that's what we're mainly going to talk about today, even his description of who Jesus is, he kind of finishes this whole thing by saying, and because Jesus is this, you need to understand that his death did everything. His death, his death through his blood shed on the cross, everything on earth and heaven is now reconciled back to God. The work is done. So we're already getting a glimpse of Another rebuke that is coming to these false teachers here for us will be in a couple of weeks where it's like the, there's nothing to add because Jesus did it all on the cross. And the reason why we know that Jesus' death on the cross is enough is all these things that we saw before describing who Jesus is. And to give it a summary, we'll, we'll say this, that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully God. And, and he is making, he's making a very solid case here for not just simply a human Jesus, but that Jesus is completely and totally equal with God. And, and, and as such, when, when you get a God that's that big, again, he follows it up here in the end and says, you know, and because of that, his death does more than what these guys are saying. In fact, it does, it does everything. And so if you've been coming to the Grove for a while, you probably know that um, you probably not, for the most part, you're not going to come to the Grove um, and get a systematic theology lecture. But unfortunately slash fortunately for you today, that is exactly what you're going to get. Because Paul thought this was very, very important. You guys need to understand the nature of Jesus. And everything else that Paul is going to tell the Colossians, and really everything else that kind of flows out, flows out of our life, man, it comes from this. And so let's just, let's just go back through it. Let's just go all the way back to verse 15 and start with the very first thing that he says. In verse 15, he describes Jesus this way. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Now, well, hey, okay, well, you, Charlie, you're already wrong. It doesn't say he's God. It says he's the, the image, the image of the invisible God. And and, and let's make sure that we're clear about something because when it says image, you may think you may think photocopy. Like you're thinking like like a photocopy. It's like, well, it's not really the authentic thing, but it's kind of it's kind of the image. Well, you put the word image with invisible. He's the image of the invisible God. God the Father cannot be seen. But this is the God you can see. And really, image for us, for our purposes, this, this word that was translated here, English and image, for our purposes right now, probably a better word for us would be essence. 
He is the essence. He, whatever it is that makes God God, Jesus is that. So like if I, if I were to say, what is, what is the essence? What is it that makes a person a person? And he's like, oh, okay, well, let's make a list. We got, you got 10 fingers, 10 toes. Oh, it's not 10 fingers, 10 toes. You cut off your fingers and cut off your toes. You're still a, still a person. What, what is it? Well, I guess it's nothing. Is that something? And you're like, this is a very deep philosophical question. And some of you are like, can we, can we just move on? And we will. We don't have to talk about that. But that's the basic idea. There's something that makes a person a person and not a frog. A person a person and not a tree. A person is a person and not an angel. Whatever that is makes somebody a person. Whatever it is that makes God, God, Jesus is that. But Genesis 1, Charlie, it says that um, we were created in the image of God. Again, two different things. To say that you were created in the image of God is to say, we're taking some Godish things and putting them in you. There are some ways in which God and you, we're similar our capacity to love, our capacity to have relationship, um, the, the interaction, the choice, the free will. The, again, there are things that are like we have in common with God that we don't have in common with, again, a tree. So we are more reflective of, the, of what God is like than, say, a tree or a rock. And we are created, again, in that image. But it's a difference between to be able to say that we're created in the image and likeness of God and to say that the Son is the image of the invisible God. If you want to see what God is like, you look at Jesus because that is what Jesus is. He is that image. He's the image of visible God. Continue in verse 15. The firstborn over all creation. Oh, I got you again. Now you see, 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 he's the first thing that was created. Now, that's not what firstborn over all creation means. And so if, if I were to say, and, and again, I don't, I don't want to assume here. I don't know how many people have been around for the last few weeks. I don't want to assume that anybody's actually paying attention. But this is not the first time in, in the last couple of months that this idea of a firstborn has come up. When the, when, the, when the Bible references to someone as firstborn, really what it's talking about is the owner and the heir, the one to whom All of this belongs. And so he basically, what Paul is saying here is is that all of creation belongs to him. Because he uses this again in verse 18 where he says that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. Well, he wasn't the first person that was dead and came back to life. He had just raised Lazarus to life, you know, just a a year or so before. And and a couple other people. And then some people in in the Old Testament not saying that he's the first person to do this. And so firstborn of the creation, firstborn from the dead, not the first creation, the first one to come back from the dead. Basically he's saying everything that's created, whether it's alive or dead, all of it belongs to him. And he makes this case in verse 16. Verse 16, for, because, he's the firstborn over our creation, because in him All things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything that has been created, everything, whether you see it or you don't, whether it's on earth or it's in heaven, it does not matter where it came from, what you see, can you see it, where it exists, anything that has ever been created, 
has been created by Jesus. And so then, to then later say, well, Jesus was also created, nope, that is not logically possible because all of the things that were created were created by Jesus, which has led some really, really bad translations of the Bible that are put out by cults to insert the word other there just so we don't want you to get confused by what this passage actually says. We just want to insert our own little word in here so you'll believe what we want you to believe rather than what Paul actually said. Because what he actually said is that he created everything. And we have a word. We understand. If we, if we, oh, uh, theology quiz? I said, who created everything? You'd all get it right. God created everything. And that's exactly the point that Paul is making. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, it says God created the heavens and the earth. Yes. Yes. That is exactly what we're saying. There is a connection here to Genesis chapter 1 to saying this Jesus, we were introduced to him in Genesis chapter 1. Because, again, verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the one that by his very existence is holding the universe together. If I, again, I were to ask you, who holds the universe together? You would say God. And again, that is the point that Paul is making. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. And so we need to understand that what, what Paul is saying here is that everything that you believe to be true about God, Jesus, that's what Jesus is. He's the image of that. He's, God was unseeable, and then Jesus came, and now we can see. Was, now we can see. He created everything. He holds everything together. He, everything in the universe, whether you can see it or not, it belongs to him. Jesus is fully God. And again, you're not normally accustomed to necessarily, like again, theological lectures, but we'll add this little piece to it because the reason that we're talking about this, we're just talking about that Jesus being fully God, is, is that it really matters. Jesus is fully God, and that... That really matters. This is not just some arbitrary theological discussion that we're having that distinguishes us as Christians from, from Muslims or distinguishes us from Mormons or distinguishes us from Jehovah's Witnesses. This is not just some, and here's one of the things that we believe that these other people don't believe. Well, Charlie, that's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. This is not an arbitrary theological discussion. There's a reason why Paul, at essentially right after the intro, hey, everybody, how's it going? I'm glad to hear from you. Da, 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 da. Like right after the intro, the first thing out of his mouth is, let me tell you who Jesus actually is. Because as these people are trying to destroy their faith or try to modify it, to twist it, to kind of, to kind of get them into their little cult, the first thing that they had to do was twist who Jesus is. And Paul's like, you need to understand who Jesus is, because it really does matter. And I think even in this passage, we get, we, we get some idea of that. And again, we're going to see more and more how this matters as we continue to flow throughout the rest of Colossians. We're just going to look at a couple of different reasons here over the next few minutes. So Jesus is fully God, and that really matters. One, because it shows what he is owed what, what we owe God, 
what we owe Jesus. If Jesus is just a dude, he's just a prophet, he's just a really good teacher, if that's true about Jesus, then you kind of have the ability right now on your own to decide, well, do I really want to follow him or not? You know, I read something that he says, and I think, well, you know, that makes sense. I think I like that. You go to the next one, it's like, ah, I don't know if I really want to agree with that. And usually that's when we read him say things like, love your enemies, right? We think, oh, I, mean, I don't know if I really, no. I mean, and so then I have the ability to pick and choose to decide whether or not I want to trust and follow this prophet. And, and it's up to me. And really, honestly, then at that point, I'm doing Jesus a favor. I'm looking at you and your personality and your character, the things that you're teaching. I think, I, I think I'll follow you. Like you're joining some club. Like I think I align myself with the values of these clubs and I'm willing to join your club. It's good for me and it's good for you because now you've got one more person in your club. But if Jesus is the God of the universe. And he says, follow me. That's, that's something very different. Since the year 2000, um, there have been four different people that have been elected president. And I'm really weird. This is going to shock you when you hear it. I'm really unusual here in that since the year 2000, all four of those presidents have been my president. Like, like all four of them. There wasn't one that I skipped. There's not one that I got to say, well, he's, he's not my president. I, I, I never got to say that. Like every time they were my president, no matter how many hashtags get used, no matter who I voted for or didn't vote for, that person was the president. And that person um, signed laws into action and I was bound by them. And your Twitter hashtags do not do anything to negate that fact. At any point, again, no matter which, you know, it's every other one. Like for lots of, every other one was my president, depending on where you start, right? Can you imagine using that as a defense, right? You're, you, you break the law, and now you're in court, and be like, how do you please? Like, I do not recognize the legitimacy of this law. Uh, why is that? Hashtag, not my president. <laughs> okay, enjoy jail. We spend so much time talking about the compassion of Jesus, the graciousness of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, his grace, his love, his compassion, all of these kind of these images and, and, and things where Jesus is saying please and, and Jesus crying on the cross wishing that people would understand and the comp overwhelming compassion that he feels for people who are choosing not to follow him. And we imagine him, not, rightly so, as a, as a loving, compassionate God begging and pleading, I wish you would make a different decision. And, and we, we say that so much that I think we, we, we lose sight of this other piece that even though he has left it up to you, I mean, it's God, and you owe him worship. You owe him devotion. If he says it, you do it. When the one who created the universe, and by his, just by his very existence, holds the universe together, and he says, do this, don't do this, there really isn't a moment of reflection for you. Well, 
We'll see. Might be kind of hard. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if it really aligns with what I'm, I'm vibing with right now. God of the universe, holding it all together. The only reason why your atoms are even staying all together to, be, to even be, why you even came into existence. He says it, you do it. And again, I don't want this to overrule, like where it's like, well, now this is the only picture. It's both of these. A compassionate, loving God reaching out to you with his grace but don't lose that one word in that. A compassionate, loving, gracious God of the universe who is reaching out to you. So if God is this big, we need to think about not just simply what I want, but what God is owed. And so it really matters, again, one, because it shows what he is owed, but it also because it shows what he can do. It shows what he can do. If I say, what do you believe in your life? Jesus is capable of doing. What is Jesus capable of? What issues and problems and things that are going on inside of your life, inside your heart, circumstances that are external to you, that are affecting you, what is he capable of? What can he do? I don't know, when you pray, I don't know if you've figured out that, you know, that there's a formula that all Christians seem to use with prayer. It's, like you, it's almost like it's a letter, right? You start with, dear God, and someone, dear God, awesome, dear, dear, dear God, dear Heavenly Father, whatever, comma. And then you get into the body of the letter, and then you have a little closing. There's a closing, and you have to finish it with amen, right? You have to finish it with amen, because otherwise, right, God gets confused. It's five minutes later, and you're still talking, and he's like, you talking to me? He's like, no, nah, I'm sorry, my bad. So you got that closing, and most closings will have this thing, like you'll say some version of in Jesus' name, in, in, in Jesus' precious name, in, in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus, something like that that kind of puts it that I'm praying in Jesus' name. And the reason we do that is because there's this, Jesus tells us, he's like, if you will pray in my name, anything is possible. Prayers in my name, you can pray for anything. Again, we don't have, I'm a little hesitant even to bring that up. It's a very complicated idea about prayer, but essentially Jesus is saying, with me, anything is possible. And I think some of us are just kind of like, in Jesus' name, we're just kind of like, you know, that guy, he's Jesus, that teacher, I, he seems like he's cool with you. He told, me to, he told me to bring this up. I hope you like him, I like him. Like, you're invoking the, the God to God the Father that God the Son has said that I can pray for these things in His name, and because of that, anything is possible. Again, I'm not making a case here that, that there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. What I am saying is that there are certain very powerful promises that God has made specifically for your life that you have chosen to believe that God is not capable of resolving. In this world, you're going to have troubles, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You can, have, you can have peace instead of anxiety. You can have life instead of death. You can, have, you can have hope and joy no matter what this world throws at you, that you don't have to live this way anymore, that God can heal that relationship. God can resolve that circumstance. And you have the ability to reach out to the almighty creator God of the universe and ask for him to come in and do the things he promised he would do. But if you are just following a really wise teacher, 
you're kind of on your own. I was like, well, this wise teacher, he said, these are the things that I need to do. And I look at those five things that I'm supposed to do, and I know I can't do them, so it's hopeless. And Jesus is like, I never said you could do those things. I said, if you would trust me, I would do those things. And I'm the God who's holding the universe together. Trust me. And stop limiting in your brain and in your heart what you believe God is capable of. A couple of verses later in verse 25, he says this. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This matters who Jesus is because it shows us what we must do. Paul's like, man, for thousands of years, man, people had no idea about Jesus. This huge, weird mystery about how God was reconciling the world to himself. Like, we knew the animals weren't enough. We knew trying to follow the law wasn't enough. We didn't know. And then suddenly, one day it was revealed that it was Jesus' sacrifice all along. And it's this huge mystery. Like, how does that work going backwards? And how does that really work for us right now? It's like this crazy mystery that has finally, that has finally been revealed. It's been revealed. And Paul's like, because of this... I've got a job to do. I got to make sure that it's not just that these people back here didn't know. There's billions of people right now that don't know. And because we have been revealed this great mystery about the awesome bigness and the power of the Son of God who came and sacrificed himself, I know what I got to do. I got to make sure they know. I got to make sure my neighbors know. People I work with know. The hurting and the helpless around me know that the people on the other side of the world know. And each person here in this room, each person uh, watching online, every one of us has a role to play in the way that we serve, in the way that we give, in the way that we interact with people to help pull and draw them closer to the knowledge and understanding of the Almighty Son of God and His death on the cross that was for the whole world. They need to know. They need to know. So it can be theirs too. They need to understand this great mystery. And you've got a role to play. It's not your responsibility to talk to all billions of the people, to go do these crazy big things that can feel overwhelming. But you can make a difference. You can make a difference in the lives of the people that God has put around you to help them know and understand who Jesus is that you reflect that hope to them, that you speak of that hope to them. You bring them with you to places where they can experience that hope. And because Jesus is so big, because he is God himself, we owe him that. And whatever fear you may have about internally or externally being who God has called you to be, he's big enough to overcome all of that. And because this great God is so big and is owed so much and has done so much for us, the only thing that we can do is to let the world know. Let me pray.